0: Hello, and welcome to the Nurse and Midwife Support Podcast. Your health matters. I'm Mark Aiken, the podcast host for today. I'm the Stakeholder Engagement Manager with Nurse and Midwife Support, and I'm a registered nurse. Nurse and Midwife Support is the national support service for nurses, midwives and students. The service is anonymous, confidential and free and you can call us anytime about any issue you need support for 1800 667 877 or contact us via the website nmsupport.org.au dying, death and grieving and how nurses and midwives navigate the complexities of caring for people at this time. Understand and connect to their emotions, feelings and reactions and know about the type of support available. We could also call this podcast the story episode as this topic evokes so many stories for nurses and midwives and today we plan to tell a few of those stories. So to do this, I have two fabulous guests And hello, Lee and Carol. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mark. So, Carol, would you please tell our guests a bit about yourself and uh, why you're here today talking on this fabulous podcast?
1: Well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me, Mark. I really am very pleased to be able to do this as an area of great um, importance to me and I think also to our service, Nurse Midwife Support, Um, Also, I'd like to welcome Leah, who I've just been talking to, and her name is Lee. It's spelled L-E-A, but it's Lee, not Leah. So if I say Leah, please forgive me. Um, uh, Just a little bit about me. Um, My background is mainly oncology and palliative care. um, um, And after that, I actually did a postgraduate course in counselling and psychotherapy. My main issue, passions have always been around communication which I think is the absolute heart of, of what we do. Um, I try to live by three things, and I'm very happy to say I can't always meet those three criteria, um, and that's allowing people to feel heard, respecting where people are at and holding people in regard, and that was a great way to work as a nurse. However, what I didn't realise is that something needs to unpin that in order for me to be able to provide the kind of standards that I wanted for myself and for the people I care for. And so actually quite late in my career, I came to recognise the importance of self-care or looking after yourself or whatever term you want to talk to, um, you feel more comfortable about And we'll talk about that in more detail later. So thank you, Mark.
0: Thanks very much, Carol. Lee, welcome. Would you tell our listeners a bit about yourself, please?
2: Sure. And thank you for inviting me to be here today too. It's great. Um, So I, in the in the 1980s and early 90s was a palliative care nurse specialist um, and worked in that area for about seven years. um, A very rich part of my life, a rich time. Um, Then I did a bit of a swerve to policy writing and I sort of got noticed as a senior experienced nurse writing um, submissions to the state government at the time on developing palliative care services and got noticed by the senior health policy person who said, why don't you come and work with us? And I was actually ready for a change and we might talk about that a bit more later too. And so I did, and that got me into writing, you know, quite a bit of my job. um, And I really do love writing. And so bit by bit, I was doing that work. And then I had another, took another bend in my career, another turn, And I wanted to be able to tell stories. You know, my policy work and in nursing work, there are so many good stories, but often policy writing is very dry. And I thought, oh, I think these stories deserve more, you know, than just the kind of factual policy type papers and that sort of thing. So then I took myself off to do a writing course and learned how to write um, memoir pieces and things like that. So these days I work as a freelance writer and I also work as a workshop facilitator. that's my quick story thanks lee that's a a
0: really great story and i think so many nurses and midwives will connect to that because many nurses start off as uh, nurses or midwives and then they go and find another career and sometimes they come back to nursing but also i meet lots of nurses and midwives who have done something else and then come to nursing or midwifery as a career. So there's so many great stories out there, and we're hoping that you'll feel comfortable after this podcast to share some of your stories with us. Lee, you published Field Notes on Death in 2013. This is indeed a beautiful and poignant memoir about being a nurse, witnessing and caring for people while dying and in death, observing and supporting grief, connecting to love, relationships, and the universe. You had me at the first paragraph. I was in a foul mood a few weeks back. In a flash of bleak insight, I wrote on a scrap of paper. I hope I don't die today. This would be a very bad mood to die in. <laughs> what a great opening, Lee. Lee, would you please tell our listeners about have a bit more about this story and our listeners will be able to access this story from our website as part of this podcast and what is really the story behind this great story in
2: memoir? Um, thanks Mark. Um, I had made this shift to learning how to write uh, memoir type stories. So this was about 12 years ago and I moved to Melbourne and began studying at RMIT and did their writing course so, one of their many wonderful writing courses. And this one was a, had a lot of creative writing in it. And so every week in the classes, we would write in class just at, we would have time, 15 minutes, just write something. And sometimes we'd get a prompt from the teacher and you know, okay, here, um, jobs you've had or something like that, just write for 15 minutes about that. And then we would get, go into small groups of about four and just read our work out and then talk about, you know, give each other feedback about the writing. So I had written this piece which has ended up in, the, a few of the pieces ended up in this memoir that I wrote. Um, and one of them was about, I wrote about sitting with a woman as she was dying, an older woman, and just describing what I had seen happen as she actually died. And, um, and so I wrote that piece and in, in this class this day and this young guy, he's about 30, and he, as I read it out, and I just, for me, it was like, just, you know, this is what happened. These sorts of things happened a lot in nursing. And he said, you know, I have never, ever heard a story like that before. He said, you should keep going with this. And it was one of those moments when he went, well, it was an important story to me, but maybe it's important to other people to hear it as well. So then I kept doing little bits in the class, you know, and like another piece I wrote one day and another 15 minute writing thing was just about sitting at the laminate table in my, fam- my parents' kitchen and actually thinking about death one day. So that kind of ended up in the piece as well. So I was doing this at RMIT and then one day, I think I, it got me, I realised I was thinking about death a lot subconsciously. And so that was the bit where I'd probably written about four or five little pieces that made it into this longer story. And I just woke up and I was in a really grumpy mood and obviously thinking about death as well and then going, oh, goodness, oh, I hope I don't die today. This will be terrible. <laughs> you know, I such a bad mood. And I don't know what I was in a bad mood about. It wasn't anything significant. but So that's where it came from, yeah.
0: It's it's great. And if you haven't read Lee's story, perhaps you want to pause the podcast and do that first because I think what we're going to talk about today will make a bit more sense to you. But it's up to you of course. And uh, and we'll hear about more about that story shortly. Carol, you've been a palliative care, cancer care and now nurse and midwife support nurse for many years. I know you have many stories. Would you please share one of them with
1: Allison's? Thank you, Matt. Um, A story I really wanted to um, highlight today, because I think it actually has a lot of um, themes about what we're talking about today, was a story, and I've changed the names obviously for privacy reasons, of a young um, boy who would have been maybe four, maybe five, and his father was dying at home, Um, and I would come and see them regularly as a palliative care nurse. And... Over time, we developed a developed a relationship specifically with um, his mother, and she became, which most community palliative care nurses know, you develop a very very strong bond. And she became very open with me. And one of the issues that was concerning her the most was talking to Jamie about the fact that his father was going to die. And uh, this is a number of years ago, and there was a lot of conventional wisdom, mostly in the public forum that talking to children about dying was something you didn't do and understandably parents are here to protect their children. However, um, it became obvious and certainly one of the things my go-to when I'm unsure about practice is reading, reading, looking at the research, what are the experts saying, where's the evidence? And all of the evidence came out that actually talking to children um, in an age-appropriate way providing a safe space and making them feel heard um, was incredibly important. So, of course, there's no rule book for how you go about this. So it was a lot of talking with Jamie's mother and getting a sense of who he was. And we both felt that we would wait for Jamie to start asking questions. Um, and she continued to see how his behaviour was. We, she had noticed some changes in his behaviour. He wasn't sleeping as well. He talked about having slight nightmares, etc. So we knew something was going on. So I got there one day and it it was actually fairly obvious that his father was probably going to die in the next couple of days. Um, and Jamie, almost on cue, came in and said, what's going to happen to Daddy now? It seemed to know. And so we talked about that and we sort of went through a couple of levels of safe type questions. So we sort of said... Um, you know, Jamie you know when people get sick and he said yes and he, I said and you know you get sick you get better don't you and mummy gets sick she got you know and she gets better doesn't she and daddy got sick and, and they've taken him to the hospital and they tried to get him better and he still didn't get well did he he said no and so we took him through very gently step by step and so he said everybody that knows daddy and cares about daddy has tried to help daddy but daddy's body's not working and one day daddy's belly's going to stop working and that's called dying and at that point he looked so engaged it was absolutely extraordinary to see this child feeling heard and feeling someone was Mm -hmm. taking notice of him So we talked about the next question he asked, um, which parents fear, but it's actually a very important um, way of being able to know how to cope, how to deal with the situation, is what do you say when the child says to you what's going to happen? And it's about being very clear and being able to say very um, openly, but with with a lot of sense of being um, confident about how to manage the situation. Well, his heart will stop. His eyes won't be able to open and his chest will actually stop moving because that's where you breathe. Um, So he took all this information in and as a four or five-year-old ran off. The next day I came and his father had deteriorated quite significantly. Jamie came in and he said, I think Daddy might die. And I said, yeah, and we're starting to think that too. So, what do you think about that? He says, I think it's really sad. I said, well, what would you like to do? He said, I want to go climb up on the bed with Daddy. And I looked at his mum, and his mum nodded. And his father was un- unconscious at this point. So he got up there and played with his, his dad and played with his face and things. And the next time I visited, it was just at the point where his father was dying. And his mother said to me, I want Jamie to come in. Is that okay? And I said, as long as he's okay. So he came in and his father died. And as Jamie got up on the bed, the same way he'd done the day before, held his father's face, looked at him and gave him a big hug and said, it's really sad, daddy. I'm so sad you're going. And then as only four-year-olds can do, tried to open up his eyes and listen to his heart and couldn't hear anything ran down the hallway at 100 miles an hour to his his family and proudly announced that daddy's died they'd already known this Mm. but he was telling them that he had, had also observed that daddy died and I know because his heart stopped and I can't open his eyes and it may have seemed to some people to have been a very difficult you know sort of um and very sad experience but His mother told me how important it was to her Mm -hmm. that he'd been able to make that connection. He'd been able to emotionally connect with that. And he had, as a a four-year-old or five-year-old process, something had happened. Um, So that left me with a lot to think about. And I found that to be an enormously important um, part of my practice and understanding the importance of being open And it also made me often reflect on how we are a death denying society. We find it difficult to talk about death. Yet, when people are given the opportunity, even as early as four or five, that opportunity with safety, that we can reduce a lot of the fear and secrecy around grief um, and death and dying. And I didn't know it at the time, but one of the most, um, one of the predictive factors for, staying in the profession dealing with death and dying is being able to have what they call is a term called compassion satisfaction and that's where a nurse has positive feelings associated um, with having been able to contribute in some way to a situation Mm -hmm. um, around death and dying. Um, So that's just a really quick um, story about the importance of being able to work through some of the things that can be very difficult but actually um, can ultimately sustain in your practice. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Thanks so much for sharing that lovely and heartfelt story, Carol. Really appreciate it. What it reminds me is that nurses are so pivotal to (laughs) the experience to people of, of having a good death or having a good process around dying. And I think what you did is you created a space where you made death part of life, which... For all of us it is, it's part of life. And to be able to do that for a young child, I'm sure has supported him throughout his life when he thinks back to that time. So well done, thanks for sharing that story. Lee, in Field Notes on Death, you write, when I finished school at 17, I decided to do nursing, a job that would allow me to escape the small town I'd grown up in and work anywhere in the world. What I hadn't anticipated was that it would also make me a regular witness to the extremes of life, birth, death, great joy, deep suffering. That's another amazing uh, part of this story. How can we better prepare nurses and midwives for their early career experiences of caring for people who are dying and those who die on their watch and the emotions they may
2: experience? Um. I think talking about it, and there is a big shift, like I'm now in my, well, I'm 60 actually. And so I I look back over the generations and from when I started and we are a death-denying society, but it is changing. Um, It's a slow change. And I think like palliative care, when I first moved into that field in the 80s, it was very new it was pioneering you know and that's i ended up going over to the uk to study because there wasn't they were just ahead of australia by about 10 years at the time um, because of dame cecily saunders who started the hospice movement and um so that was why i wanted to go over there and study at the royal marsden and then at sobel sir michael sobel house in oxford um and that the if you think about that 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 was really only in the 70s that there wasn't specialist palliative care and now there is um, then a lot has shifted there but we've got we've got a long way to go if I so I haven't worked in hospitals for a couple of decades now. Um, so I can't speak for how it actually is, but I can I suspect that um, it's still quite busy on the wards. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this was... So my experience that I write about in this memoir piece too was of my first time I saw somebody die, I was 17, and I had gone in to give a woman, a, an older lady, a mouthwash, and she was unconscious. So, you know, you're learning to give the unconscious patient a mouthwash. Do you know, you remember that procedure? Mm-hmm. And so I had the kind of tutor nurse was, um, was there to supervise me and observe me doing it, but she was actually at the door... She didn't come in because the woman was being barrier nursed because she had an infection so i was in there on my own all gowned up and about to give this woman you know a mouthwash and you know i've been reading my procedure manual carefully and trying to do it all correctly and then i thought there's something not right here this is a bit weird and um so i kind of signaled to the the tutor nurse to come in what do you call them now We call them educator the educator and we did call it that then so the educator, she gowned up and came in. And anyway, it was like, mm, the woman's actually dead. And so this was my first experience of death in a hospital. I had had family who had died, but it's just quite different, you know, situation. And um, what happened then was that it was really busy, that the ward that day. So it was frantic, you know, and I, I'm back there. I can feel how busy it was. And um, we had to lay her out and the educator had to go off and, you know, supervise somebody else. So she said, we'll find somebody to, you know, help you lay the lady out. And so there was a refresher nurse who was, um, she hadn't practised nursing for 10 years or so and had come back to the ward doing the refresher course. Do they still have those? Yeah, they do. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So the two of us have got the procedure manual on the, um, on the bedside table. And we're kind of looking at that and going, how do we lay out, you know, a body here And so um, we were just stumbling our way through it, you know, and also both very respectful. I did really feel the dignity that um, we both felt towards that woman, you know, who was now dead. Um, But it was a bit of a, uh, we, we both felt very fumbly, I think, Do you know. Anyway, so the busy morning continued, and a few hours later, finally I got a break, so I went off to the tea room And just sat there with a cup of tea and literally sat there and went, oh my goodness, what was all of that? And I was on my own in the tea room and just staring into space really felt quite dazed by it. And the thing that interests me is that that was one of the first stories I wrote about when I had space to write about it 30 years later. So it was still very vivid to me and I don't feel, I've been thinking about this you know in preparation for today I don't feel that I was necessarily wounded by it but I feel like it was a great lost opportunity you know that if and the fact that it stayed with me was more that I was curious about it like how come there wasn't support why you know I did have people outside of work I could talk to which was great and a very supportive family and and everything but just in that work setting it didn't happen so what did I need what would have been great is if somebody just came out a cup of tea with me or even in a busy environment, there are people that are able to just in one minute be deeply present with you, and actually be. What I needed was to acknowledge, wow, you know, that's the first time I've ever seen, you know, a dead body, um, and so to acknowledge yes, that's what happened because it was a little bit unusual. Not everybody has that in there, you know, in their jobs, and you're seventeen. Um, and the other would have been just to somebody to have said, you know, how are you? You're okay. You know, anything you need. And those things can happen quite quickly. So when I think about now with young nurses, I think that, that, you know, let yourself expect that it will be acknowledged and there is support available. And if you don't get it the first time, just look around um, until you can find that support. And then for the more senior nurses, um, you know, everyone is busy. If you can find a moment, though, just to actually give that moment and your attention to that young nurse or they're not necessarily young but early career nurses to just help them know that they're supported so i think that's great advice lee thanks very much
0: for sharing that and if if any nurse or midwives listening to this podcast and you need support just a reminder you can call nurse and midwife support anytime 1800 667 877 the 24 7 service so please don't hesitate to call us and talk to us about anything that you need support for. Carol, further to that, when a nurse or midwife contacts nurse and midwife support, troubled by their emotional response or mental health as a result of caring for those who are dying and they die, how do you support them?
1: Mm, Well, I'd just like to, to kind of lead in from what Lee was just saying there. And I think it was a really good description of what it can be like and the franticness, the busyness, the, so much to unpack and you know that you still got a big day ahead yeah. of you. And as you say, that's still inside of you, you still remember that. And I could see your eyes um, for the benefit of the podcasters as she was reliving that story, that still stays there. And I know, having spoken with oncologists, speaking with nurses, um, speaking with students, that um, we often do carry these things. Yeah. So it's incredibly important if you're experiencing those feelings to know exactly what Leah has said. Just getting back to the question that Mark has asked us, I think the crucial thing we do at Nurse Nurse Midwife Support um, is we listen. And we listen to what's being said. We listen to what's not being said. Um, We listen in between the silences of people comfortable with that. Um, And we know that it's actually not easy for people to call. Um, graduate nurses often, um, I have to say, I'm really grateful to hear, see how many graduate nurses are calling us now. Um, but and they do have a sense that they this is something I should do. But there's still a slight feeling, even for graduate nurses, should I be doing this? And absolutely, 110%, it's okay as it is for a very senior, experienced nurse mm-hmm. who may have dealt with a lot of grief and loss, but who's still finding it very, very challenging. And it's really important to know that we, the breadth of people, of experience that you have, um, or, or the lack of, it, it has no impact in terms of needing to feel heard. And I really uh, also just wanted to be able to highlight that The service is a really safe place to say exactly what you're feeling. Because we recognise that nurses and midwives, they bring their own history um, to to their profession as well. Um, And the most important thing is, despite what you may or may not hear in, in conventional circles, and even within professional circles, nurses and midwives grieve. Um, We can experience very high levels of anxiety, fear and worry and concern around death and dying. And um, our callers often worry about things. They worry, did I do enough? Uh, What could I have done differently? Um, They worry about, have they said the right thing? Have they said the wrong thing? Um, Sometimes people um, just have a simple question. And um, so it really can be very, very varied in terms of what people want and what their needs are in terms of calling us, Um, but often um, I think one of the things callers tell us the most is sometimes just talking is one of the most important things and really helps um, and makes a big difference. Um, The other thing I just wanted to focus on too is recognising that um, we we recognise each nurse, each student, each graduate nurse each manager, each midwife, as an individual. And I think it's vital that people who speak to us through the service understand this and that we work towards finding support that works for them. There isn't an agenda. There's not a script. It's a different system to an assessment or what nurses might experience in in an environment where it's very much a... um, there may be a sort of template it's about finding out who you are and what is really going to help Um, and the most common thing I hear from callers is it's really good to talk to a colleague a nurse colleague who gets it.
0: Yeah, um, thanks Carol. And what I am really connect with, with the way our service operates is just as you nurses and midwives out there caring for your patients, clients or residents are delivering person-centered care, that's exactly the way we operate at Nurse and Midwife Support. We hear your story and we treat you as an individual. So thanks very much, Carol. Lee, something you wrote in field notes on death particularly resonated with me. And it, it's this quote, but there would be little time then or later for reflection or questions or answers. It made me ponder why we don't always create space for nurses and midwives to reflect and ask questions about their experience of death, and perhaps this is why some of us enter compassion fatigue and burnout. What are your thoughts on that? Um,
2: I think, you know, I, it's great listening to Carol actually talking about this service that is available. I mean, that would have been wonderful, you know, back then to to just know that you can call somebody and anything you say is okay. Because I think that's the scary bit. You think, oh, you know, I'm going to either sound stupid or needy or or something. So to just normalize that that re- reaction that we can have is good. Um, I think that um, part of you know your question there, Mark, about um, you know, this this risk of compassion fatigue and that. Part of it is the busyness, you know, that, and um, shift work is tricky too. You know, I found, like I used to play netball before I started nursing and then when I started nursing, shift work just made it really difficult to get to games regularly and so I stopped doing that. Um, And so I think you have to be quite, you know, artful about how you keep yourself living a balanced life as a nurse. Around that, so there's, um, there's the, what this has kind of made me think of what's happening in Australia at the moment with the, with the um, bushfire situation as well, and what we've been seeing with, if you think about like this podcast is about dying and grief, and really what's happening collectively across the country is a lot of loss and grief that people are dealing with and um, in terms of how you keep people going through difficult times it's, it's this bit where we just need to all kind of mind each other a bit look out for each other and what i've a couple of bits of inspiration i've heard this week that i think speak to this your question mark is that um the other night andrew constance who's the member for bega who was affected by the fires he was on q a And he talked beautifully. You can still see the pain in his face. You know, he allowed himself to be very vulnerable on national television, which was an amazing gift to us, I think. And he talked about how important it's been for him to be able to talk with his fellow community people. You know, he lives in that community. He's part of that community. And it was lovely to see a politician, not just being a politician, but just being a person. And he talked about how they're helping each other. You know, they talk to each other. They're acknowledging this is really hard. Um, but also acknowledging we need to go on, though. We need to keep doing this because it's not over yet. And so I thought that was very powerful. And then he said that um, he himself would be seeking counselling, that he recognised that he needed it. And I thought that was incredible to give people permission to go, yeah, actually, I need to talk to somebody too, you know. Um, So I think that's that to be able to, you know, get whether it's just someone to talk to or actually really skilled counselling, I think it's great to be able to have all those options available so that you don't burn out. Um, The other thing I would say from my own experience of actually seeking counselling at one point was if you seek counselling and it doesn't feel like the right fit for you with the counsellor, then move on and find someone else because you will find the right person but it isn't always the first time. Um, So that's important to keep in mind. and the other thing that, as the bushfires, is kind of um, in, um, that has come out of this this hard, difficult time is um, everyone would have seen Shane Fitzsimmons. So he's the uh, fire chief in New South Wales, who's just been extraordinary to watch. His beautiful mix of compassion and um, authority. He seems to get it's, it's sucked together so well. And I heard him just this morning actually talking about how what we all need to do is look after ourselves. So each of us needs to take care of ourselves and look after each other. And I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. And I've noticed that Mark actually finishes his podcast by saying that to each and every one of us from, you know, this service of to, you know, look after ourselves and look after each other. And it's a beautiful way to think about that. So I I think there are ways forward for us. Thanks, Leah. A really
0: big shout out to all nurses and midwives living and working in bushfire affected communities. Some of us have been directly impacted and affected and some of us uh, are observing that and it can be a really and is a very difficult time. So if you need support in relation to that, please know that nurse and midwife support is available and the other services are available to you, obviously Lifeline Beyond Blue and there are many others. So please reach out. Carol,
1: do you have anything to add to that? Yes, I suppose the thing that I have certainly been aware of um, professionally and and certainly since I've worked at Nurse and Midwife Support is how hard nurses and midwives can be on themselves and they can have very high expectations regarding their ability to cope with grief and loss. Um, It's probably not surprising to most nurses um, but just for the fact of putting in some evidence to show that we are, what we're actually feeling as nurses is actually replicated in research is that most nurses receive little or no training um, in how to cope or recognise their own grief. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't hang chemotherapy without getting education. We wouldn't give medication without getting, without getting infant, um, education. Um, we wouldn't look after a patient without getting education or client but we take these enormous risks with our own sense mm. of knowledge and, and how to manage for ourselves. Um, we also know that um, the nurses and midwives are often experiencing on top of grief, on top of, say, a grief upon grief, like um, people working in bushfire areas, is they're juggling challenging workloads, conflict in the workplace, bullying, personal difficulties, and as a result, any grief or loss that you're experiencing Um, certainly puts you at increased risk for um, burnout and compassion fatigue. Um, And I think also nurses worry about being vulnerable, as Lee was talking about, and having a place where they actually feel they can be vulnerable is, I think, incredibly um, important for a lot of people. Um, And importantly, as a profession, we don't always ask for help and we feel we should be able to cope with grief. We should be just able to get over it and we put on the nurse face. The professional mask comes down and we look like we're coping and it's all happening under the water like a duck. Um, And certainly in the past, this was my experience and um, not knowing how to recognise my own grief or how to articulate my own feelings um, and uh, finding a space in which to reflect on those thoughts and questions um, were challenges that I experienced as a nurse. Um, and I think that, um, the issue around what Mark was talking about when he said, um, how do we, we don't always create spaces for nurses. I found a really interesting quote that I thought was very interesting talking about, um, grief and loss and creating a space between, uh, it matters. So the space between what we're experiencing and, um, is important. And that means we do have to find ways, and I know it's not easy, I'm a nurse too, finding that time between patients, that time for lunch, that reflection or just chatting with colleagues. And that culture that we all deal with of busyness um, is incredibly powerful, has an incredible impact on us, and you don't have to deal with that on your own.
0: Thanks, Carol. Great advice. So important. Lee, as this is a sort of story podcast and you're a fabulous storyteller, do you have enough story to tell? Um,
2: can I read a little bit from the memoir?
0: We would absolutely love you to do that. Okay,
2: thank you. So part of the memoir is about my own father who had cancer and um, I returned to the family, to the small town I grew up in actually to help care for him. But mostly, I was I was very careful about being his daughter and not being his nurse. Um, I had had a palliative care colleague actually who had, when she knew I was going back to um, help care for him, she said, "Just be careful yourself and just be his daughter, because it'll be easy to have this mask of, you know, I'm the capable nurse and whatever." But I actually needed to be there and um, in that reality. So, um, so I cared for him, and I write about that in the piece. Um, at, in a, at a bit of, at length, um, short but you know a bit more detail. And what happened was that then my father died, and um, I write this little piece about my experience of that grief. And you know I was sort of prepared for him to die because he was 11 months from diagnosis to when he died, but actually I was shocked by how it actually felt when it was somebody that close to me. So I write a little bit about that and kind of the conflicting feelings, like, you know, sort of feeling okay one minute and then just feeling desperately sad the next and then feeling really angry as well. You know, like, why did he have to die? He was only 72. You know, we can always sort of pick a number and go, it was always too going to be too soon. So I had been feeling all of that, but then one day I decided to go to his grave and just, you know, spend some time there with him. And I actually wasn't feeling particularly stormy or... Sad that day, but I wanted to go. And so this is a little bit I wrote about this. A few weeks after his death, I went to the cemetery 10 minutes drive away. Mum had a red rose bush in bloom by the side gate, and I picked one to take with me. I stood by his grave searching my brain, trying to work out what I was feeling, what I should be feeling, whether what I was feeling was what I thought I should be feeling. Dad had a lovely wit and was always strong in a crisis. Um, I'll just... Just bear with me while I turn the page. Um, Around him, in those times like when we had a crisis, I always had the sense that we would get through whatever it was that was happening, that it would all be alright in the end. These two qualities, his wit and calm lightness in the face of true difficulties, came to me this day, as I stood at his grave with my red rose, trying to be suitably sombre and meaningful. As I bent over to poke the stem in the dirt, I heard him speaking behind me. I knew he wasn't actually there, but his presence was clear, his voice mischievous and loving, as he said, and rose from the dead. I cracked up laughing. Thanks so much, Leah.
0: And I think it really reminds me of the... Great capacity nurses and midwives have to inject humour into these type of experience, and I would say that that is a way that we actually cope mm-hmm. by using humour and telling stories. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for that. Look, I can't believe I've got we've got to the end of this podcast. There's been so much, and there's so much to talk about today. We've talked about nurse and midwife support. We've shared stories about caring for those who are dying in death and those who are grieving, the emotional responses of those caring for people at this important time and its potential and actual impact. We've shared stories related to this inevitable part of life and tips for looking after yourself while doing this work. Any final words of wisdom, Carol?
1: Look, I think there's just a couple. Um, One is that I just really wanted to say that... um, In terms of this being the story podcast, it's interesting to reflect on the fact that we have so many stories and that nurses often are in a position where um, they don't have time to be able to tell those stories and need uh, an opportunity to find a way of being able to articulate their experiences. Our stories matter. This is the year of the Nurse two thousand and twenty. Let's start sharing our stories with each other or finding a safe professional environment in which to do
0: it. That's great, Carol. And happy International Year of the Nurse and the Midwife. And whatever you're doing, I hope you celebrate in style. If you've got a share to, uh, story to share, please um, contact us, mark at nmsupport.org.au. Leah, any final words of wisdom from you?
2: Um, telling stories can be very transformative and... Um, And so yes, I would encourage that too. The other thing I would just say is to be gentle on yourselves and on others. Um, Gentleness can be a very powerful way to be. That's probably it. Thanks very much.
0: Well, thank you both for being such great and generous guests and sharing your stories. If you found this podcast useful, please share it with other nurses, midwives, graduates, and students. And as I said, if you've got a story to tell, and I know you have, please contact me, mark at nmsupport.org.au or call the service for support, one 667 877 Look after yourselves and each other and I'll speak to you next time.